Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. In our series, Red Letters, The Questions, we come to a very special moment. This is the night that Jesus will be arrested, and he is in the upper room with his disciples celebrating Passover. He will also lead them in the First Communion. It is in this moment that something very dramatic and beautiful happens. The Bible tells us that Jesus takes a towel and a basin of water, and he stoops down and washes each one of the disciples' feet. You know, we read this and it just takes a few seconds, but if we think about how long it would take someone to wash the feet of 12 men, we would recognize that that took a while. And as the disciples tried to process what Jesus was doing, I'm sure there was astonished silence, except for one outburst from Peter. But when he had washed the last guy's feet, he asked them the question, a big question. A provocative question, our question for today. He asks, do you understand what I've done for you? Well, to even understand the question, we have to go back in time a few hours because something had happened inside Jesus' group that had really messed with the chemistry. You know, if you go back to the calling of the 12 disciples, Jesus had picked 12 nobodies. But you know, three years with Jesus, hanging with Jesus, had given them a sense of celebrity. I mean, after all, they'd been in the shadow of his miracles, but we also read in the Bible that from time to time, he had empowered them to be able to do some of the things that Jesus had done. So three years hanging out in the shadow of Jesus had given them a sense of celebrity, and maybe they had begun to feel a little bit important. One more time, I would point out, these were nobodies. If you look at the 12 disciples, a bunch of them were fishermen. There was one who was a tax collector. That was the lowest of the low. Uh, there was one that had actually been kind of a radical. And, and so none of them were anything too special, but Hanging with Jesus for three years had begun to make them feel a little more important than they were. And so now we come to the place where Jesus and his disciples are on their last trip into Jerusalem. So let's pick it up in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Jesus told them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed to some people who want nothing to do with God. They will murder him. Three days after his murder, he will rise alive. They didn't know what he was talking about, but they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, and when he was safe at home, he asked them, what were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They had been arguing with one another over who among them was the greatest. He sat down and summoned the 12. So you want first place? 
Then take the last place, be the servant of all. And then he put a child, verse 36 says, in the middle of them. Oh, we see what's going on. These disciples who have this sense of self-celebrity because they have been in the shadow of Jesus' power, he began to discuss among themselves which one of them was the greatest. I find this interesting because later on in the book of Acts, when these disciples begin to be very effective, the people are amazed at how effective they are. And the Bible says they perceive them as, quote, unlearned and ignorant men. And I read that and I want to say, who cares who is first among unlearned and ignorant men? And yet the disciples are arguing over that. So Jesus gently calls them together. And again, we know he's already told them he's about to be crucified. But even though he's carrying that load, he calls them together and says, guys, if you want to be great, be willing to become the servant of everybody. And just so they will get it, he picks up a, a little child and calls them to think about how a child is. And he says to them, you need to, you need to be like a child with each other. So that's the message. They got it, right? I mean, after all, I mean, they're with Jesus, and Jesus has just told them how to think. Wrong. They didn't get it. Let's look a little further in Mark's gospel, chapter 10. The Bible says he took the 12 and began to go over what to expect next. It's interesting. He'd already told them, but remember, they didn't ask him any questions. So now he's calling them together again, and he's going to go over what to expect next. That's what leaders do. Leaders manage expectations. And he understands what they're going to see is going to turn upside down their thinking about Jesus because they believe he has come to be the king and the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, guys, please listen to me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. Let's read it in verse 33. Jesus said, listen to me carefully. We're on our way up to Jerusalem. When we get there, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the religious leaders and scholars. They will sentence him to death. They will hand him over to the Romans, who will mock and spit on him. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. And after three days, he's going to rise again. Well, what do you anticipate that the response would be if the disciples listened carefully to what Jesus said about all the awful things that were going to happen to him. You, you want to hear somebody say, oh, Lord, no, surely not. Jesus, is there any way we can help you? Oh, oh, Jesus, you've done so much for us. What can we do for you? I mean, you sort of expect someone in that group to say, Jesus, you're so important. And after what, you, what you've done for me, you called me away from cleaning my nets. You, you saved me from the tax collector's booth. I mean, you want to hear somebody say, Jesus, would it be possible for me to take that instead of you? We know they, they couldn't. I mean, Jesus was on a mission from God that only he could achieve. But you, you sort of want one of the disciples to at least ask that. But some things are hard to understand. Because when we read what happens next, we want to gasp in surprise. The Bible says James and John came up to him. Now, Jesus has just said, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be whipped, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be delivered over to death. I mean, they just heard that. And James and John come to him and say, teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. 
I, I just kind of want to see Jesus say to them, are you kidding me? But Jesus is Jesus. He's not me, thankfully. So Jesus asks, what is it? Uh, I'll see what I can do. Arrange it, they said, so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory. One of us at your right and the other at your left. In verse 38, Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. Are you capable of drinking the cup I drink or being baptized in the baptism I'm about to be plunged into? And Jesus had just gotten through telling them what that meant. Verse 39, they said, sure, why not? Do you, do you feel this? I mean, if I were to put this in modern terms, I mean, none of us is Jesus, of course, but if you were to put this in modern terms, it would be like a, a mother of small children who is facing a serious life-threatening surgery, trying to explain it to her, her kids, especially if you think about small children. I mean, she might take them to McDonald's and, and you know, get them a meal and, and then just kind of try to calm them down and say something like, well, mom is going to have to go to the hospital and the doctors are, are going to try to take the problem out of my body so that I'll be better and, and I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks, but you're going to be fine. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Only at that moment to have one of the kids say, I didn't get the toy I wanted in my Happy Meal. Well, kids say stuff like that because they're kids, but sometimes I think grown-ups feel the same thing. They just know how not to say it, but unfortunately for James and John, they, they said it. Jesus said, I'm going to experience all these difficult things, and they said, you know, we have a question. We want you to do something for us. Make us the greatest. Well, you can imagine how the other disciples took this. I, I should include a little factoid that Matthew throws in because we just read that it was James and John's request, but Matthew says James and John got their mama to ask Jesus. That's kind of creepy when you think about it, but, you know, they, they want this, and so they think we'll get mama to ask Jesus, and surely he'll do what our mama wants him to do. Well, when the others, verse 41 says... When the other ten heard of this conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John. Well, think about this. Do you think they lost their tempers with James and John because they had asked Jesus such a, an unreasonable request, given what Jesus was experiencing? No. They, they weren't afraid that James and John had offended Jesus. They were upset because they felt like they were getting elbowed out of the position. Verse 42, Jesus got them together to settle things down. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. Jesus said, guys, it's not going to be that way with you. And remember, these guys are the beginning of the church. So by extension, Jesus is talking to all of us who are Jesus followers. He said, it's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. That is what the Son of Man has done. Jesus said, I, I came to serve, not to be served. And then he said, the Son of Man came to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. Well, that's twice now, maybe three times, I guess, if you think about it, Jesus has told them that he's on his way to be crucified. 
I tell you all this so that when we get to that moment where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, you will know what has led up to that moment. So now Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples where they will celebrate the last Passover. And they are there. They're tired from a long walk, but they understand what's coming next. They know that they will eat Passover together, and in a few moments, Jesus is going to show them his invention for the church, which we call communion of the Lord's Supper. We'll be celebrating that online this week on Thursday night. So here they are. Just get this picture in your mind. You know, when you see the artwork of the Last Supper, oftentimes you'll see these disciples in Jesus sitting at a table. Well, there, there may have been a table, but it would have been like about a foot off the floor because in those days, people ate in a semi-reclining position. They would lie on their sides, you know, with their head propped up with their hand. And <laughs> let's, there's, there's no easy way to say this. You got 13 sweaty guys in this room lying on their sides eating that means that when you got ready to eat the Passover, somebody's feet were going to be in your face. So here's how it would have worked if this had been a wealthy household. Let's just say you got invited to somebody's house to celebrate Passover or an important dinner. And someone came out with a towel and a basin of water and washed your feet. You would know, even if you didn't know much about this household, you would know that you just met the least important servant on the team. If they don't have servants, probably a kid would come out and wash your feet. You know, that's probably the youngest kid on whom the least pleasant jobs would gravitate. So here are Jesus and his disciples. They're in a room and they've gotten ready now to celebrate Passover. They're lying on their sides with their feet, sweaty, smelly feet all over the room. It is the job of somebody to step up and wash feet. But nobody, you know what's going on. We've been talking about it. I mean, nobody's going to do that. I mean, here's the feeling. I may not be number one. I, Jesus has been talking about this number one deal. I may not be number one, but I'm not last. Doesn't just stuff jump out of the story to you? Wouldn't you expect at least one of these guys to at least wash Jesus' feet? Ah, but selfishness and self-centeredness is an ugly thing. And that's when it happened. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, the one whom John would write about saying, nothing was made that he did not make. The one to whom God will defer all judgment. The King of kings and Lord of lords. In John 13, verse 4, the Bible says, He got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to, and I might point out, with the two hands that would be nailed to a cross in 12 hours. He began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. And that's when he asked the question that's our question for today. He asks, do you understand what I've done for you? Not do you know, but do you understand what I've done for you? You know, there are some of you who are watching today, and you've had this question 
for someone in your life. Maybe you're a parent, and time after time you have helped your kids, and you have sacrificed for them, and you've gone without in order to make sure they have. Have you ever felt like asking the question, do you understand what I've done for you? Not, not do you know, but do you understand? Do you, do you know what's behind what I have done? Do you understand what I've done for you? Maybe someone is listening and you've bailed somebody out time and time again. Time after time, they've gotten in trouble and you have cushioned the blow. And you want to ask them the question, do, do you understand what I've done for you? Maybe you're a supervisor or a boss and you've got somebody on your team that has screwed up time and time and time again. I mean, you've got reams of stuff that probably should call for their dismissal, but you've found a way to keep them on the team and to encourage them and, and try to see if you couldn't salvage something out of them that might be worthwhile. And, and, and yet this person just doesn't get it. And you, you probably want to ask them the question, do, do you understand what I've done for you? Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're the person who got bailed out. And now with time and maturity, you say, I, I finally understand. I finally get it. The only thing is the person who did so much for you is gone. And you, you'd, you'd love to, to reach out to them and, and say to your mom or dad or to that person, that teacher who was so pivotal in your life, you, you would love to say to them, please, I, I finally get it. But when this question is asked, do you understand what I've done for you? It's so much bigger than a mom or a dad or a grandparent or a teacher or an employer. It's bigger because it's Jesus who is asking the question. And, and, and this is why this message is so important today. He's not just asking the 12. He's asking you and me, do you understand what I have done for you? And we know what the disciples didn't know that night. We would know that he didn't just wash our feet with water 12 hours later. He washed our sins away with his blood. And he stands before me with outstretched, nail-pierced hands. And Jesus asked, Mark, do you understand what I've done for you? I need to. You need to. And these times we're living in call for us to. These are unspeakably difficult times, times like we've never seen before. I, I didn't know when I prepared to bring this particular subject to you in the series Red Letters, The Questions. I had no idea last year when we were working on this series that I would be bringing this message to you at such a painful, difficult time. And if there ever was a moment for us to get it, I mean, when Jesus stands before us with those nail-pierced hands and asks, do you understand what I've done for you? These are the times when we need to get it. Well, in case we don't understand, Jesus answers the question for us as he goes on there in John's Gospel, chapter 13. He asks, do you understand what I've done to you or done for you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That's what I am. So if I, Jesus, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. 
I'm only pointing out the obvious, Jesus said. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand, Jesus said, what I'm telling you, act like it. And then he throws this in and live a blessed life. It's not my topic today, but Jesus is talking about serving others. And he is saying, if you do this, not only would we fulfill our mission of following Jesus, but we would also be blessed for it. Well, going back to Jesus' words, what I find so interesting is Jesus facing what he was facing. I mean, he's just going to be arrested in a few hours and the torture is going to start. I mean, Jesus facing what he was facing, he didn't say, do you understand what I've done for you? Now take care of me. He didn't say that. He said, if you understand what I've done for you, you will take care of each other. I think God is going to help you understand what this message means to you personally. I'm convinced of that. I believe God's Holy Spirit is going to speak to you in ways that I may not even address in this message. But as we get ready to close today, there are three big ideas that I just don't think any of us can afford to miss. I mean, I I don't want to be that one sitting at the table saying, I didn't get what I wanted out of my Happy Meal. I I want to make sure I, I get these three things. And the first one may surprise you. Here it is. There's nothing wrong and everything right with wanting to be truly great. As long as we know what it actually means to be great. You know, we live in a world of celebrity. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. In Mark 10, verse 43, he said, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Well, Let's take the halos off for a moment. What does it mean to be a servant of people? It means you meet needs. That is what Jesus is calling on us to do, is to meet needs. This is personal. (laughs) It's not from the Bible. This is just Mark talking. But I get so sick of celebrities saying what our country ought to do. Some pampered actor living in a $30 million mansion, flying around on a private plane, who gets all that money because they've memorized lines and pretend to be somebody else on camera, is now telling us, the rest of us, how we ought to live our lives. I don't want to hear from them. In fact, it makes me so sick, I want to, well, let me just say throw up. Let me hear from a fireman. Let me hear from a fireman who runs into a burning building when everybody else is running out. Let me hear from a a nurse or a doctor or a healthcare worker who is putting their lives on the line in this coronavirus situation to save people's lives, putting themselves at risk. Let me me hear from them. Let, Let me hear from somebody who builds a small business from the ground up working 80 hours a week and going without pay to make sure his or her employees are paid. Let, let me hear from somebody who meets needs. We don't need to hear from one more puff brain Hollywood celebrity. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to be great, it's not a matter of being famous or having money or celebrity. And God help those of us who are Christ followers to get out of this celebrity stupidity that we seem to have been in these last 20 or 30 years. Let's value people who meet needs because that's what Jesus values. And so if we want to get this today, let's just understand there's nothing wrong with being truly great, but the measure of being great is that you are 
a servant. And let me just ask you, and this is another sermon for another day, but stop and think for just a few moments about the people who have impacted your life the most. And it won't be long before your list will be a list of needs meters. Now, here's the second thing that we need to take away from today's talk. And I got to be honest, I've been preaching since I was 16. I don't even know how many times I've preached on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I'd never seen this before. Let's read it one more time. Jesus got up, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel. How did I miss this? In order for that verse to be true, it had to mean that all the time that the disciples were getting in place, there was a towel in the room and there was a basin for water. I mean, the towel and the water basin were staring them in the face, but they ignored it. Here is lesson two from Jesus' talk. Your towel and your basin are waiting. What I mean by that is your opportunity to meet needs is staring you in the face. Back in the days when we were able to gather together, you know, at a church, throughout all the years, I've had people come to me and ask me, how do I know God's will for my life? As if to say, I really think that maybe in order to do God's will, I'm going to need to get a pith helmet and go to Africa and be a missionary. Well, if that's what God is asking you to do, that's fine. But oftentimes I would have people ask me about some pie-in-the-sky idea when they weren't even meeting the needs of the people in their own home. There were emotional, spiritual, maybe sometimes physical needs that were staring them right in the face, and yet they had this idea that there was some sort of fantastic thing that God wanted them to do. Well, in all of our lives, there may be that quest that God wants us to go on. But I I really believe if we'll pay attention today, our towel and our water basin are already staring us in the face. And I just want to challenge myself and challenge you to be a Jesus follower, to be great where you are and just pick up your towel and fill up your basin with water and meet somebody's needs today. Tomorrow's towel and tomorrow's basin of water will be there waiting on us when tomorrow comes. But today, your towel and your water basin are staring you in the face. They're staring me in the face, and they're waiting for us here. Finally, and here's the third lesson. It would be a shame to never understand. For the 12 men in that room, 11 of them would get it. I mean, it might take the death and resurrection of Jesus and they would all crash and burn. It might even take that crashing and burning, but they would ultimately get it. 11 of them did. Well, you know if I'm talking about 11 out of 12, there had to be somebody in that room that didn't get it and never got it. Thought about this so many times. It must have been an extraordinary feeling for Jesus to wash your feet. I mean, think about it. Touch says so much. I think Jesus' touch had to be so special. As one by one, he might pick up one of those guys' feet by the heel 
and begin to wash the feet with his hands? What would it be like to have Jesus touch your feet? I know it would have been a kind touch. But I know enough from reading about Jesus in the Bible to know that he would have done something else. As he had washed those men's feet, I believe one by one he would have looked up into their eyes and smiled. That's just how he was. He might have even called their names one by one as he washed their feet. And he would have looked in their faces with such love. But as he went around that room and washed feet, he would have come to the feet of one man who had already done the dirtiest deal in history. He went to Jesus' enemies. He'd already done it. And he asked them, how much money will you pay me if I turn him over to you, if I point him out, if I, if I make it easy for you to arrest him? And they said, we will pay you 30 pieces of silver. The deal had already been done. And now Jesus comes to Judas and he picks up his heel and with a tender touch, he begins to wash the feet of the man who has already sold him out. And what's more, we know that Jesus knew it. Do you see Jesus look up into Judas' face? This was Judas' chance. This was Judas's chance to say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I sold you. I sold you for 30 pieces of silver to your enemies. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Well, we know how Jesus forgave. And we know what would have happened at that moment if Judas had said that. Jesus would have said, Judas, I forgive you. And history could have been so different. On the day of Pentecost, when after Jesus had ascended into heaven and thousands of people had been saved and the disciples were so used of God to share the gospel, Judas would have been there. He, would have, he might have been able to preach the sermon that day. It could have been so different. The problem was Judas never understood what Jesus had done for him. I, I, I don't mean to suggest that any of us is a Judas. Although I will say it's a lot easier to be a Judas than we realize. But I'm not saying any of us has been a Judas or, or is a Judas. It's just that I just want to put you in his place for a moment and think about what happened with him. I, I don't, was his heart moved at that moment? Did, did he feel something tender inside of him, recognizing that he needed to make a different kind of decision? Did he feel it for just a moment, and then did that moment pass? That's what's so easy for us. Maybe right now in this message, somebody who's not yet a Christ follower, you sort of feel a little touch of something inside of you. You feel a little tug right now. And what you feel is not me, it's not New Spring, it's God saying, listen to what Jesus has to say. And maybe right now, there's just a little bit of something inside of you that says, maybe I should. But if you're not careful, this moment will pass so quickly. And that's what happened with Judas. 
If right now while you're watching this message, there's just something inside of you that's attracted to Jesus, something inside of you that says, I need this Jesus in my life, because the good news is, as we'll celebrate next weekend, three days after Jesus died on the cross, he arose from the grave. And there's something inside of you that says, I want to know this person who would love me so much. Well, I have good news for you. The Bible says that you can make that decision by believing that Jesus died for your sins and believing that he arose from the grave and then asking him to be your savior. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Has done? I mean, the gospel is not do, it's about what's been done. Jesus has already paid the price for your sins. He has risen from the grave to prove that he's everything that the Bible says he is. And right now there's an offer on the table that whatever you've done, however you feel that you failed, and we all have, that Jesus won't just wash your feet, he'll wash your sins away with his blood. And all you have to do is ask. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And these aren't magic words. And you may choose your own words if you wish. But I'm going to pray this prayer slowly, line by line, so you can decide if you want to say these things to Jesus. And you can keep the awful mistake that happened in Judah's life from happening in your life. Here we go. Let's pray. Dear God, dear Jesus. I know I'm a sinner and I've done so many wrong things and I'm so broken I can't fix myself. But Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe that your blood washed my sins away. I believe you arose from the grave and that you are alive. Forgive me. Adopt me into your family. Give me the strength to live a different kind of life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, I have a gift that I'd like to send you. If you're here in the United States, I would like to send you this gift box. It's got a Bible in it and a book that I wrote that will answer a lot of questions. If you're watching from outside the United States, we will get you an ebook. And all you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. One more time, text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. If you're here inside the United States, we'll try to get this gift to you very quickly. If you're watching outside the United States, we have an ebook for you that'll be a real asset. So I'm so thankful that you joined us today. For all of us who are Jesus followers, let's get our basin and our towel and let's go to work so that we can say, yes, Lord Jesus. I may not understand it all, but I understand what you have done for me. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.